All right. Well, thank you, Angela and the team. I'm going to get this. So good to worship God together, as always. And I uh, just want to wish everyone a very good morning. Um, welcome to our gathering here at 140 Clark Street. Uh, if you're here in person and if you're online, it's great to have you with us online as well. Um, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here, and I hope and pray that God speaks to you today. And in fact, just want to take a minute to just pray that right now that God will speak to us. So, Father God, we thank you for your presence with us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, O oh God, that you are living and that you are active. And I pray that you will just move amongst us right now by your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us through your word, Lord God. As we, uh, as we hear what you've got to say this morning, I pray our hearts and our minds would be receptive to everything you're wanting to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we have been going through the book of Acts over the last few months, and here we are in Acts chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn to Acts chapter 10. We'll be reading through that in just a moment. We've gone through various different accounts of different people in this book. We've looked at Peter and the apostles and Stephen and Philip and Saul. And I guess that's why sometimes the book is known as the Acts of the Apostles. Some people have suggested that it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And actually, as we read chapter 10 today, uh, we will see why people have suggested that. Because here we have a passage in Scripture where the lead player is most definitely the Holy Spirit. Everyone else is just following the Spirit's lead in this passage. So today we're going to look at what it means to live our lives following the Holy Spirit's lead. And as we go through this passage, I'm also going to give some examples from my life. Right from the start, I just want to say, uh, I don't want it to seem as though in any way I'm any more spiritual or holy than any of the rest of us. I'm certainly not. Uh, the examples I'm going to give, some of them have been major life changes, and they've happened years apart. Um, but we're also going to see how we can see God working in our daily lives, day by day, as we follow the Spirit's lead. And later on, we'll hear a story from someone here amongst us. Um, we'll just give an example of that as well. So we're going to see what happens in the whole of Acts chapter 10. We'll read the whole passage this morning. But to begin with, we're just going to read the first half of it, verses 1 through 23. So let's start right there. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's also staying, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. 
He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's righteous and a God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel asked him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men to the house to be his guests. All right, so the first part of this passage concerns a man called Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile who served in the Italian regiment. But it says that his family were devout and God-fearing. They were worshipping the Jewish God. They were worshipping God. And one day at around three in the afternoon, he has this vision of an angel. And the angel says, God's heard your prayers Cornelius, and he's valued your gifts to the poor, and now he's going to do something for you. So send some men to Joppa to send for fetch for Simon. He's also called Peter to come to you. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. It's getting a little confusing here. There's too many Simons going on. So he's trying to distinguish between Simon, who's also called Peter, and Simon the Tanner. Don't bring the wrong Simon. If this was a Shakespeare comedy, you'd have all sorts of misunderstandings and farce going on right now. Thankfully, it's not. Um, so <laughs> that's what Cornelius did. The three men went off in search to find Peter uh, in Joppa. And the next scene goes to Joppa. And that's where Peter has been staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Peter's gone up onto the roof to pray. He's also hungry at the same time. And the meal is taking a while to come. And so he goes into this kind of trance. Does that ever happen to you when you're praying, especially if you're particularly hungry or tired? Uh, I sometimes call it falling asleep. Um, <laughs> Peter calls it a trance. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, either way, he sees a vision of a large sheet coming down from heaven containing all kinds of creatures, all kinds of birds, reptiles, and a voice tells him, get up, kill, and eat. Now, obviously, Peter's hungry at this point, but he's hearing this voice, get up, kill, and eat. But that isn't something that Peter is going to feel comfortable about. We have to understand that there were a number, there still are for Jews, a number of Jewish laws which regulated what you could and what you couldn't eat. And they were all laid out in the Old Testament. When I went to Jerusalem a number of years ago uh, as a student, I went to a burger place, a uh, burger joint. Funnily enough, it was called McDavid's. 
<laughs> I love that just for the start. And uh, I ordered a burger, and, uh, and then I said, oh, and I'll take a, a coffee with, with milk as well, if that's OK. And the server said, no, no, that's not OK. You can't have that. Um, no, I just want a coffee. No, you can't have a coffee. And I thought, wow, what terrible service. Um, and then the server explained to me that because of passages like Exodus 29, uh, 23 and verse 19, and other verses which say, do not cook a young kid in its mother's milk, that Jewish regulations, food laws, meant that meat and milk cannot be served at the same meal. That is the case for Jews today. They will not have meat and milk at the same meal. So because I'd ordered a burger, and then I said, can I have a coffee with milk? They were like, no, you can't. We're not going to do that for you. It was quite amusing that this teenager serving at the equivalent of McDonald's was explaining the Bible to me. I was studying biblical studies. <laughs> but there we go. That was an example of some of the food laws. And there were other food laws that are all laid out in the Old Testament um, that Jews have and their restrictions on what can and can't be eaten. So this vision that Peter had of a whole lot of animals and birds and reptiles together, even though some of them were not considered unclean, because in this vision they'd been together, they would have been contaminated. And when God's voice comes to Peter and says, kill and eat, that's a big thing for Peter. Peter says, surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. Just to note, that's not usually a good answer to give to God. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. So this is going to blow Peter's mind at this point. These food laws would have just been, he's grown up with them, they're second nature. To believe something different, to do something different, would certainly have taken some getting used to. However, Peter knows it's God who's saying this to him. Because he says, surely not, Lord. So he knows it's God. So he, he's kind of arguing with God. God gives him this vision three times. He gives him the vision three times. And then the image goes from his mind. Sometimes God does speak to us by his Holy Spirit. And it seems very strange. And we have to ponder on what God means. We might have a dream from God, which is just difficult to interpret. It's hard to understand. Or an image or a picture which might seem unclear. Sometimes God might say to us something which is completely out of our comfort zone or our previous experience. We might identify with Peter when we say, I've never done that before. But God might be saying to some, something to us, and he may well have to confirm it more than once. Maybe in the same way, maybe in different ways. Maybe you get the same dream a few times, like Peter's getting the same vision. Maybe there's other ways that God confirms it with you. But don't let that cause you to dismiss what God might be saying to you. Peter's still wondering about the meaning of the vision when the Holy Spirit speaks to him again and tells him three men are looking for him. So go downstairs, come off the roof, go meet these men because I have sent them to you. So now this is a tangible thing for Peter. 
Maybe he was going to write off this vision as just like, I'm really, really hungry. And my mind is just like going crazy. I just need some food, you know. But now God has said, look, go downstairs. There's three men downstairs. They're looking for you. Okay. So this is kind of confirmation. He goes downstairs. He opens the door. There's the three men waiting for him. Confirmation. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. And often God does that. He will confirm what he said to us by other means. Perhaps by something that someone might say to us. Perhaps by something that you know might say, wow, what an amazing coincidence. Well, it's not an amazing coincidence if God is doing it. So Peter speaks to these men, and it's, it's kind of funny. Um, I find it funny anyway. He says, I am the one you are looking for. And he sounds as though he's all spiritual, and he really knows what's going on here. I'm the one you're looking for. Um, you know, God has told me you are coming. And then he goes, uh, why have you come? <laughs> he doesn't really know that much after all. He doesn't know the big picture. He doesn't know the full story, obviously. God hasn't told him about Cornelius and all of that. He just knows there's three men looking for you. So the men tell him that they've come from Cornelius and that an angel told him to ask them to come so that they could bring him to Cornelius' house and Cornelius could hear what Peter has to say. That's enough confirmation for Peter at that point. He takes the men into his house to be their guests. As we'll later find out, Peter would have probably flat out refused if he hadn't had this vision from God. Because Gentiles were considered unclean and they wouldn't stay together. They wouldn't, he wouldn't have invited them into the house. He wouldn't have associated with them. But the vision that he's had on the roof and the thing that the Holy Spirit's told him, these men are here. Okay, there they are. Okay, I'm going to trust enough to invite these men into the house and they can stay with me overnight. And then I'm going to set out the next day and we'll see what God is doing here. He doesn't know the full picture of what God is doing. He just doesn't know. But he's taking that next step of faith. He's trusting in God. Often in our lives, it needs God to speak to us and for us to just take a step of faith in the first thing. We might say, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. Why are you wanting me to do this, God? Why are you asking me to do this thing? It might seem a little strange. Why are you asking me to speak to this person or contact them out of the blue? Whatever it might be, the whole picture may not be clear to us, but we can say we're going to take the first step of faith. We're going to see what God is going to do. And that's happened in our lives a number of times. God has spoken to Debbie and I in the strangest places, at the strangest times. Sometimes it's taken us a while to understand the full picture of what God is saying. In the fall of 2006, Debbie and I visited Mumbai in India. It was unlike anywhere I'd ever been before. Beautiful people, but it was hot and it was humid and it was noisy. And on the last Sunday we were there, I was preaching in a church and uh, I had a translator because um, they were, I think it was Hindi was the language it was being translated into. But I got this terrible stomach flu. And just before I was preaching, it was like, oh my, well, I mean, there's a whole story in that in itself, which I won't go into. 
I tell you, I was praying so hard that morning, but it wasn't particularly that the Holy Spirit would come upon the people. It was like, can I get through this meeting? Um, and it was, it was kind of, I was preaching, it was twice as long as usual because I'm, everything I'm saying is being translated. Anyway, I got through the message. I'm like, oh, and we went for this meal and we got through the meal and I'm feeling terrible. And then we had to go back to our hotel and it was a two hour journey on an auto rickshaw. I don't know if you know what an auto rickshaw is like. There's a picture there. That's an auto rickshaw. Okay, basically, I mean, there's the back of it there. He's just got some parcel in there, but it's an open door. So like you're weaving through the streets of Mumbai. These guys go fast. It's like a three-wheeler. They're weaving around. You're, you're literally clinging on for dear life because there's other ones. They're cutting in on you. They're everywhere. It's noisy. I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling sick. I'm like, this is a two-hour journey. Can I? What am I going to do if I get sick? And all of these things going around in my head. And then Debbie says, turns to me and she goes, Mark, I feel God's been speaking to me this morning. And I'm like, okay. And, and she says, I feel God's been saying we should adopt some children. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> that was not the message I wanted to hear at that particular moment. No way. I'm just like, I just want to get through this journey. So let's say I had to ponder about it, <laughs> as Peter did. Thing is, we got some confirmation of what God was saying soon enough. We got back to the hotel, and even just as we got back to the hotel, we got a prophetic word from someone in the UK. Now, this was our last day there. This was our last day, and we've been there two weeks. Uh, this was our final day there. And someone texted us and said, I just feel God is saying this visit to India will be life-changing for you. Just feel God saying that. I'm like, that's the sort of word you get at day one. That's not the word you get as you're about to fly home, but it was the word we got on the day Debbie felt, I'm hearing from God. Okay, so we're processing that. We got back to the UK. We went to a prayer meeting, a gathering of, of, of leaders from all over our family of churches. And as we're standing there, someone standing behind us eventually shared with us that he'd had as he's seeing me and Debbie standing there, and he said, I could visibly see the word adoption written over. He didn't really know us, but he said, I could see the word adoption written over you. He kind of checked it out with our church leader at the time and shared it with us. And we're like, this is confirmation that God is speaking. The strangest of occurrences, the strangest of places, but we're getting confirmation. So we began to take steps of faith, one step at a time. It was God completely changing the course of our life. In the same way, Peter went one step at a time. He wouldn't have gone with the men if God hadn't supernaturally intervened. We would never have pursued adoption if God hadn't supernaturally intervened for any number of reasons. It wasn't on our thinking. So Peter's begun to walk out the journey that God's leading him on. But he's still not co fully come to terms with it. But he's being obedient to God. Very different from another man in the Bible who was in Joppa. Anyone remember? Any of the kids know who that was? Who was in Joppa, like Peter was, 
and God told him to go somewhere, but he didn't go. Anyone know? Yeah, Luke. Jonah, absolutely, Jonah. Jonah was also in Joppa. God told him to go somewhere, to go and speak to some people who were Gentiles, who were unbelievers, and he refused. He went in the opposite direction. And the reason for his refusal turned out really to be what we might call racism today. He didn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. He just didn't want God to forgive them. He wanted God to destroy them. So he, he didn't want God's grace to come on them. And Peter would have possibly been wrestling with some similar things with the Gentiles. He, he, why, God, are you coming to the Gentiles? We're your people. We're the ones who've been following your laws. Why are you going to the Gentiles? Peter's wrestling with some of those things. Sometimes we have to wrestle with some of our own prejudices. We don't like to think they're there. Sometimes they are there, hidden in our hearts. That's probably another whole message. Let's read the rest of the chapter and see what happens. Chapter 10, verse 20, end of 23. The next day, Peter started along with them, and some of the believers in Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So may I ask you why you sent me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God's heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor, sent to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter, he's a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, lives by the, we've done all this. So, <laughs> I sent for you immediately. Now, here we are in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but witnesses who God's already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely nothing, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, 
So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. All right, so Peter gets to the house of C to Caesarea. And at this point, Cornelius has invited all his friends and relatives to come to his home. Why has he done that? Well, because Cornelius has faith that God's going to speak to them. He, he's heard from God. God's going to speak to them. I'm going to invite my friends along. Another significant time and turning point in my life came because God gave me once a strong impression that I was going to receive a prophetic word in London from a man, a church leader called Gerald Coates. I'd never met this guy before. I'd never been to any of his meetings. I just heard about him that he was doing these meetings. And honestly, I just thought, God, he's going to prophesy over me. And I just thought, I've got to go. I've got to go. So I, I went and spoke with Debbie and spoke with two friends. And we were like, okay, it just seems like maybe God's saying something here. Let's go and find out. We booked a train ticket. We went down to London. We went to this meeting where this Gerald Coates was speaking. I've never done anything like that in my life before. I, like, I never just think, I'm going to get a prophetic word from someone. Off I go. But I just felt it was God and just took that step of faith. The meeting happened. It was okay. It was okay. <laughs> and, then the, and then it ended. And there was, there was no ministry time. There was no call to prayer. And so we're just sitting there. And we're like, well, what do we do now? And did we just leave? Did we not hear God? And I just thought, no, I'm going to take courage. And I said, look, and it, it did take courage because it sounded foolish. I said, no, I, feel God was, I felt God was going to speak. So we're going to go down and I'm going to find this guy and I'm going to ask him to prophesy over us. <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> the four of it, I mean, the... <laughs> I don't know how keen, how keen, were you keen or not that Debbie wasn't? Debbie's like, really? <laughs> I'm like, come on. So we all went, all four of us, and I just, and I found him, and I said, look, this sounds really weird. I just feel, I told him who I was. I said, God's told me you're going to prophesy over me, so will you? <laughs> he gave us all prophecies, but he gave me a prophecy that was so powerful, so accurate, Ultimately, it, it led, a, played a major part in me quitting my job a few months later, starting to run a kids' club in Sheffield like the one we run here in some of the very needy areas of my city. I ended up working for the church. It totally changed the course of my life. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't working for the church. Life-changing decision. Small step. Seemed crazy. For Cornelius and his family and friends coming to hear Peter, that was going to be a life-changing decision as well. So Peter goes in, he finds this crowd of Gentiles, a group that he, up until now he would never have stood among, and he's shocked. He's like, all these people are here now, oh my word. It's one thing to be surrounded by, have three people in your house. It's another being surrounded by a huge crowd of Gentiles. So Peter starts to say, look, you guys know that I shouldn't really be here with you. And then, and then he says, no, but, but God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean that he has made clean. He's connecting the dots. He's like, this is what the vision was about. It's not about food. It's not about what I'm supposed to eat. It's about who I'm supposed to be with. 
And so he's like, okay, so I'm here. So what do you want me to do? Peter's humbling himself at this point. God has been changing his whole mindset. And sometimes God changes our mindset about things. We need to be allowed, we need to allow ourselves to be humbled by God. We need to allow that. So Peter just starts off with what he knows, with what God's shown him. And then he begins to say, God doesn't show favoritism. God accepts people from every nation. He probably didn't even think he was going to be saying this, but he is. Now, there are verses in the Old Testament which, which point to this. For example, Isaiah 49 and verse 6 says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to res- for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back to those of Israel I've kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. There's verses like this. Peter would have known them, but he would have been kind of blinded to the true meaning of them. He's been with Jesus. Jesus has healed lepers who were considered unclean. He's spoken to a Samaritan woman who would have been considered unclean. He's brought salvation to her and her family. He's healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman, but Peter hasn't grasped it fully in his own life until now because it was different to everything he's always been taught. And he's had to be humbled here. The talk of all this that I'm saying may be new to you as well. Maybe you've been taught that the Holy Spirit moving and working supernaturally ended at the time of the apostles, the early church. Maybe God's shifting your mindset, breaking up in your boxes. In the 90s, God moved powerfully by his spirit in churches all around the world, and some strange things were happening. And in our church, some strange things were happening. I felt they weren't of God. I honestly felt they weren't of God. I felt I resisted them. People were shouting out in meetings, crying, laughing. I felt it was all showy. I felt people were looking for attention. Some friends of us felt the same. I'll call the lady, the woman, Jane, um, just in case, because she's still in the church uh, in Sheffield. She'd had a painful and tough upbringing. Um, They've had many challenges as a family. She absolutely hated any attention being shown to her. Um, And we were all convinced that this was all fake. And what are we going to do about it? And one Sunday, I was there in a church meeting, and suddenly, in front of me, Jane is like pogoing up and down like this. Woo! 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 She's just doing that, like the whole meeting. And I'm just like, oh my word. What is going on? Like she was never going to do that. I knew she would have hated the attention. And I'm thinking, this can only be God. This can only be God. And I chatted with her afterwards. And it was very clear that God had just been doing something in her heart and bringing a freedom to her from long-standing stuff. And we and several others in the church had to come to the realization that although there may have been some elements of attention-seeking and behavior that wasn't at God in all that was going on, God was undoubtedly doing something in our church and in churches around the world. And we had to embrace it or we would miss out. We had to humble ourselves. Peter goes and preaches the gospel to them. None of it's planned. Sometimes we wonder what we're going to say, how we're going to do it. The Bible tells us, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. It's kind of scary. 
It's also kind of exhilarating, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit in what you say or do and seeing God work. We're going to just watch a, a three-minute testimony of, of Michelle, who's in our church. Those of us who are here have just heard from Michelle. But Michelle just had a few things that have happened to her recently, and she's just going to bring that on the screen. Mark has asked me to talk a bit about how I've been sharing my faith in hopes that it would encourage you to be excited about sharing and building God's kingdom. In recent years, I've just become more comfortable with who I am, and Christ is in me, and that is who I am. So naturally, that should just uh, flow from your life um, at, at work or school or wherever you are. And I, I find Facebook is a good platform for me to just be bold. I can say what I want to say, and people will either uh, receive it or they'll just move on. There's been a lot of uh, preaching lately about um, going out into the world and and uh, evangelizing, and I was torn because you know in the middle of COVID when you're not allowed to see anybody you're not allowed to make connections like how how do I do that well for me I am planted in my workplace I'm there every day with my co-workers and it's a great opportunity for me to just spread the light of of God I believe that I'm there to be an encouragement to them and lately it's it's been a struggle because of the shortage of staff at work. We are all just really discouraged lately. And being that one to be upbeat and encouraging is has been harder. And um, I just had a, a moment last week where I just needed to vent. So I work with Trevor and... Uh, sent a message to him and just vented. I'm like, I just need to get this off my chest um, so I don't blow my top at the, at the wrong people. And uh, he messaged back and he said, uh, what would Jesus do if he were you? Well, that's not what I wanted to hear, but that's exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to regroup with God. I spent some time in prayer and followed his prompting to write some messages to my co-workers and just tell them how great they were and what a great part of the team they were and why we needed them. So earlier this week, one of my co-workers came to me and uh, thanked me for the encouraging letter I had sent and also mentioned my Facebook post. Uh, my son was baptized last weekend and he had saw the excitement about that and it just opened a door for him to come talk to me about faith. This gave me an opportunity to speak freely about my faith and he asked lots of questions. Um, he wanted to know about baptism and about discipleship um, and he talked about something missing in his life and that maybe what I have is what he's missing. So a lot of excitement, and I've uh, done some follow-up with him since. Um, we're hoping at some point to maybe get him included in an alpha so he can learn more. But I just hope that this encourages you 
to follow God's prompting to be who you are in Christ and to be a light where you are planted. That's great. Well done, Michelle. Just following God's prompting. To do what? Write a note to all your work colleagues. You might think, I don't know. Should I do that? It opens up doors. Who knows what God's plan is? And Michelle was sharing that with myself and Joe earlier on this week, and she's like, who knew evangelism could be so exciting? <laughs> well, following the Spirit's lead is exciting. It can be tough, but it is exciting. Peter speaks. The Spirit comes on everyone. They all start speaking in tongues and praising God. It's almost identical to Pentecost. Spirit dis suddenly descends on the gathered people, and Peter realizes God's doing the same thing as he did on Pentecost. It's first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So he says, look, surely this is what God's doing. No one can stand in the way of them being baptized. They can come into God's family. So they become baptized, they're believers. It's a major turning point in the life of the Christian church because it's an event which makes it clear to the apostles, God's bringing salvation to the Gentiles. It's huge. Okay, we're out of time. So in closing, just five things to recap. How can we practically follow the Spirit's lead? First, ask God to speak. Peter was praying. It was actually, it's actually a great idea to ask God to speak to us in a meeting. Ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to bring? Be proactive about seeking the lead of the Spirit. Secondly, learn to discern. Learn to discern the Spirit's voice. Often we think it's a voice, a thought that comes into our head. If it's something we wouldn't have made up, it wasn't for Peter. He wouldn't have said, I, I need to go and kill these and eat these animals. He wouldn't have said, I need to go and speak to the Gentiles. If it's a thought that is not something we would normally think, that's a good sign that it's of God. Now, check it with Scripture. If it's a contrary to Scripture, we know it's not God. When I first started hearing things in meeting, I thought I was making things up. But then I'd find other people are bringing very similar things at the same time. I had to learn to discern it was probably God's voice. And next time, okay, you've got to take a step of faith. I think this might be God. I'm going to do something. I'm going to act on it. Thirdly, seek confirmation of what God's saying to us. So in a meeting, sometimes that can be checking with someone else if you want to do that. But for big questions, for big life decisions, talk to other people, talk to leaders, talk to those who are wise, mature. We can ask for confirmation, and we might see confirmation in other ways. Um, you're not going to see the whole story at once. Peter didn't. Fourthly, be humble. Allow God to change our minds on things like he did with Peter and not, so you, are we going to be like Peter or are we going to be like Jonah? It might be something we've never done before. Doesn't mean God's not asking us to obey him and trust in him. And finally, we have to take a step of faith, take courage and act. If we trust God and the leading of his spirit, I can't promise you life's going to be easy. There'll be challenges, there'll be trials, but there will be the excitement and the thrill of knowing you are living your life in the power of the Holy Spirit, completely dependent on the will of God. And it might not mean at first big life-changing decisions for you, making family changes, moving to other countries. That's a whole other story I haven't got time to speak about for us. It might be just talking, following the Spirit's lead 
to speak to someone about Jesus, to write a note to someone like it was for Michelle. But it's all part of living a life directed by and dependent on the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite the band back up. Why don't we pray? I'm going to pray for us that we will be a people who are dependent and following the lead of the Spirit. Let's stand together, shall we? Father God, I thank you for your encouragement to us today through your word. I thank you that we can see things that happen in Scripture, Lord, which are clearly the lead of the Holy Spirit. And it's just that people have to follow and believe and trust and act. And Lord, you are the same God. And I thank you for Michelle's encouraging testimony even this week. And I pray for salvation for this work colleague for her. I pray that even though we don't know the end of the story, that that will be the end of the story, or at least another major step and part of the story. But I pray for all of us, God. And Lord, if it, it, I just want to encourage us, if you are open to God speaking to you by his Holy Spirit and you want to be led by him, I just encourage you, just raise your hands in front of you because we want to pray that we'll receive, we want to receive the Holy Spirit, Father. Father God, just pour your Holy Spirit out on each one of us right now. I pray, Spirit of God, come upon us. And Lord, I pray, begin to speak more and more to us that we will live our lives completely directed by you. Lord, those thoughts, those promptings, I pray we'll be obedient to and we'll take steps of faith and courage. I pray we'll see you move powerfully in our lives. I pray we will be a spirit-led people. Come now in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Let's worship God together.